The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums play an important role in our lives. Nearly every good-sized city has at least one museum. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums are not only important places to display artifacts and teach us, they also contribute to the economic development of the areas where they're located. Now, here is your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert for The Museum Life. Uh, thank you for joining us today. You know, This is a program where we I, talk about issues and concerns uh, in the museum community to better our practice and to increase our audiences and become more relevant to our communities and society in general. You know, one of the distinguishing characteristics of museums is the mounting of exhibitions, whether it's selecting art uh, for walls or whether it's creating multimedia displays or complicated science interactives. Exhibits really are one of the unique characteristics of museums. It provides a place for individuals and groups to share and learn together, uh, create memories together, and uh, think, hopefully, uh, if we're doing our job correctly, transforming the way they look at themselves and the world around them. But this creating exhibits is a interesting process uh, for those of us who have been in the museum business for a while in the interpretive planning exhibit exhibition creating business, uh, it's almost a little bit of uh, voodoo, magic, hopefulness, and uh, everything else combined. Uh, most, most of us uh, learned the hard way. Uh, and we learn from our mistakes, and we gather together with other like souls and compared notes, uh, and realize that in many ways you don't really feel realize how alone you are until you're out there creating an exhibit for your museum. Well, today we have with us a, a, a good friend of mine and a, and a colleague, someone I respect tremendously, uh, Polly McKenna Cress. And as many of you know, Polly, in addition to being the department chair and program director of the Museum Exhibition and Planning and Design at the University of Arts uh, in Philadelphia, and she's also the principal of, design, of a design firm in Philadelphia called Elusive Inc., uh, one of my all-time favorite titles for a museum design firm. Uh, and in addition, Polly has worked inside a museum. She's worked for the Franklin Institute, uh, where she oversaw design, production, and installation of numerous permanent and traveling exhibitions. And she's also held senior-level positions in architectural and design firms. Uh, she holds an MFA from the University of the Arts and a BFA from the Rhode Island School of Design. And in addition, uh, and she is the co-author along with Janet Kamian, of creating exhibitions, collaboration in the planning, development, and design of innovative experiences, which is published in 2013 by Wiley Press and is available on Amazon. Polly, welcome so much to the show today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Carol. This is great. Polly, uh, as I like to uh, offer all of my guests, I've given a little bit of a bibliography, most of it, that I pulled from the University of the Arts website. Uh, but could you share with uh, our, our uh, listeners a little bit more about your museum or, or your career trajectory? Uh, sure. 
Um, as you mentioned, I, I started out as an industrial designer from Rhode Island School of Design, not knowing where that was going to take me. Having grown up in Washington, D.C., somebody said, have you checked out the museum or museum exhibition design? I said, gee, I didn't even realize that was a profession. This was this was many decades ago. Um, so I started out in a design firm and got hired there and really learned the trade, um, which was amazing and wonderful. So um, we worked on exhibits from brand new um, postal museum for the Smithsonian Institution to things like uh, Hershey's chocolate. So I uh, love the diversity of subject matter um, and really learning about exhibitions and what they could be. And then moving on to graduate school and starting to fill in some of the blanks in terms of how how is the content developed? How do these ideas come about? Why are certain uh, topics decided? And how do we connect the visitors? So um, I also worked in a zoo design firm, and uh, which was wonderful. And uh, really, again, connecting not just to visitors, but also to the collection. When you have a live collection, the passion that's there is uh, incredible. So then that brought me to the Franklin Institute. I'd been outside working in firms. Now I came inside um, to see, sort of to, to live with uh, live with the things that I was creating. So um, that was a very different experience as well. And then came back to school, um, but this time in a director position and a professor position. So basically, basically the long and short of it. Well, I think that's a very important point that you made and something I wanted to follow up on. Uh, you know, have both of us, I, I too have worked inside uh, as, a, as a senior museum uh, uh, professional man- manager and curator uh, and also, of course, as, a, as an independent museum professional. Uh, but I'm interested in your take on the difference in developing uh, exhibitions as a contractor uh, you know, coming in uh, versus someone being on the inside. Mm-hmm. Well, as I mentioned before, you know, being um, in-house, I always say to the students, you're allowed to, but again, you have to live with your creations. So, but it's a really important um, aspect that I had not had um, in the firms, where you really get to see, did it work, did it not work? It's really sort of avoiding working in that vacuum or moving on to the next project without experiencing how um, the visitors are actually functioning within your exhibition. So that was that was huge, a huge difference. Um, one of the drawbacks, maybe, um, or one of the benefits, I should say, to being in a firm is uh, things like billable time. I found that efficient uses of time um, very much happen a little bit more in, in the design firms. And the other is just the range of topics. As I said, I worked on chocolate and zoos and a little bit of everything. So there are pros and cons to, to both sides, but I often recommend to the students, if not at some point, to be inside and watch what you've created, it live with what you've created. I think that's a that's a very good point. I uh, and we may come back around to this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of uh, later in the program, one of the challenges I think uh, that that we have as as a profession is that we maybe don't do the best job, or we could be doing a better job of uh, sharing that uh, insider information with the firms. I know mm-hmm. it's always a challenge, particularly when I'm doing overseas projects, but if I'm doing a West Coast project, I may have I may get to go to that museum for the opening and we all have a wonderful time mm-hmm. and congratulate each other, but I don't get that feedback right. uh, that, that I was that I was really, really, really after. Uh, mm-hmm. that you can really only get when you're standing on the floor watching people. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, so yeah, no, and that having worked for an architectural firm that did sort of long range projects, sometimes the project were op- was opening, you know, years after we had worked on it. And so, um, so sometimes, or, or in other places, you know, internationally. So it was a little bit difficult to go and see and, uh, and, and hear back from the institutions, you know, when it's, when it's a year or two later. Right, really assessing your your craft. Well, let's move on a little bit. Uh, I want to really spend a lot of uh, a lot of our time today talking about uh, the book uh, mm-hmm. creating creating exhibitions. Uh, you know, the obvious question is, why did you write it? 
Right. Um, basically because we needed it. I mean, I desperately needed it um, for the students. I had sort of crafted a number of things over the years and pulled things together, but wanted to really, um, and brought Janet in, um, you know, as, as support for it, to really um, shape what kind of processes are open-ended enough but um, gave people some idea of what the trajectory is so that they could really be creative. Um, I love planning for people in museums. I still assign it. I always will. It's uh, a seminal work by Kathy McLean, um, but it's 20 years old. And so um, I'm finding the students saying, hey, is there some other contemporary things out there about exhibition? And there really wasn't. Janet also, working with as a consultant with uh, different museums, also wanted something sort of documented um, as opposed to, you know, just her experience talking, really wanted to put it down to be able to share it more broadly. So the impacts we were having on she on the institutions, me on the students, how do we, how do we actually put that out there? How do we share that to a more broad or to a broader group? I think uh, all all of those are completely valid. I I I was so excited when I heard that you were writing the book, and I have uh, read it and read it again, and you know, sort of laughed and uh, thought of some of some of my own experiences in the in in the field and. Um, uh, some of the 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 challenges. It's a, it's a comfort uh, to to me as a practitioner. Uh, who else um, is? Uh, and we talked about students. Who who else will really benefit from this? Do you think? Well, that's the thing. What it's obviously for students and the EMPs are emerging museum professionals, um, but it also was for. Uh, directors and boards are really what we were looking at. That's one of the reasons um, we actually talked to Carol Charnow from the Boston Children's Museum to write the um, foreword is because she had come from a different um, background. She had come from more the symphony background and said, so I know about not-for-profits, but the museum work, I, the details of the museum work, how, how do I begin to understand the complexities of that? Um, so, and again, for Board of Trustees, how to understand the detail and the needs that go into creating an exhibition. That's it's such an incredibly complex process. Sometimes it's hard for people to understand the full range of what's needed. But it also was for, you know, the professionals who've been out there for a while who want to dip in and say, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, or, oh, yeah, to look at maybe their process in a new way or the way that they approach things and just to try something a little bit different. So we were trying to hit a range. We were trying to target our audience, but also hit, hit a nice range as well. I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think one of the most... Uh, common asked questions when I'm working with um, uh, prospective clients, um, uh, it, particularly during a job interview, is so what's your process? How do you do this? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it it is uh, the most challenging thing to express. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sometimes want to say, well, it depends, which of course makes it sound as if I've never done this before. But in some ways, it does depend. Every project is a little different. Every organization has a little different uh, DNA, if you will, sort of a sense of how they come to making decisions, uh, how how uh, things happen, how dissension is dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it sort of, it depends. Uh, is this a project we're going to do in a month? Is this a project we're going to take 10 years to do? Do we have all the money to do the project? Right. Uh, all, all of these things, but what I found really helpful, and I think other people will too, is by creating a step-by-step uh, book, uh, it identifies a shared vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are we talking about schematic design or concept design, and is my schematic your concept? Right, exactly, exactly. And that's one of the things I learned early on, I remember one of my bosses saying, we are not selling a product. We are selling a process and ideas and complexity. So it's very hard sometimes for clients to understand, yeah, what, what am I buying? And why is it taking so long? 
So there's an interesting thing. Of that. So this is why it takes so long. And, again, it's for, for directors and, and others who sort of, why is this taking so long? Because incredibly, incredibly complex process. So. Ye- Yes. And as you said, the language is one of the things actually in our first year we talk about is everybody getting on the same page. Literally, if you start to, to use the same nomenclature, the same sort of terminology, you can all understand where each other are going, and the thinking gets a lot more complex as you move forward. So. I, I agree. And I think this is a good time to break. Uh, when we come back, I want to continue on uh, this conversation and get uh, have Polly give us a, a few more uh, details talking about uh, creating exhibits, particularly the collaborative uh, nature of this very important endeavor that we do as, a muse- as museum professionals. Uh, remember, you can always hear this program on Voice America. America, uh, as well as, as past programs. You can also uh, listen to it on my website, carolbossertservices.com. You can always reach me at carol.bossert at verizon.net. And you can reach Polly at pmckennacress at uarts.edu. We'll be back. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus Drug Discount Card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word TALK RADIO to 96362. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to radio show at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. I'm here today with Polly McKenna-Cress, one of the authors of Creating Exhibitions. And right before we broke, we were beginning to talk a little bit about the book and, and why it was written and who it was written for. Polly, one of the aspects of this book that I find most important is this idea of the collaborative approach. Uh, could you could you ex- 
explain a little bit to our listeners what you and Janet meant by the collaborative approach, why it's, um, you know, it's certainly not unique to exhibition mm-hmm. design, but why it's so very important. Absolutely. One of the things we, we discussed is the word collaboration has sort of been bandied about in all different forms. And we thought, you know, let's hope this isn't just a buzz term. But we realized, no, it's not. Um, the collaboration approach is just because it has to be. It really, um, not any one person can create these, um, nor should they. I mean, these are, exhibitions should be from varied, varied points of view. If it's only one person, one point of view, it can be pretty stagnant or pretty limited. Um, in today's societies, the visitors really want and need to have these different and varied points of view because they want to make up their own um, their own opinions, their own thoughts. But they also want to hear it from from the experts, from different scholars, from uh, thoughtful, informed sort of scholarship. You know how how are different points of view presented? So we often say. Um, you know, in terms of my department, is we could bring in only designers, but if we did, it'd be from one, it'd be a variation on a theme, but it'd be one theme. I mean, different disciplines tend to um, focus in certain areas, so we want, we're really looking for that varied point of view. You know, Polly, that is. I think that's a really important point to make, and uh, you know, we certainly exhibitions are different uh, than just uh, gaining information. Uh, you know, you can gain information from a website, mm-hmm. uh, but um, uh, and you know, obviously, exhibitions are three-dimensional spaces, and a website is just uh, reading or pictures or video. But here's another important difference. I never really thought about this before. If you are reading an article on the Internet about a certain topic, it's probably written with a single point of view. Mm-hmm. With a single single author, maybe a second author, but an exhibition really is the the give and take and tension mm-hmm. and discussion among a variety of people. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's what we find you know most powerful in terms of exhibition and visitors coming in and adding their voice and their opinion to this. But it's presented in this very complex way versus again just one single single point of view. So. Um, we find that's incredibly important. And also just skills. Um, this is something Janet always says, you know, all these different skill sets you need. Not, not any one person can hold all the skills that you need to create an exhibition. So um, you can have a lot of them, but you also need to be able to work with other people who have other strengths where you don't and fill in your own sort of areas. So it's, it very much has to be a team approach. Well, now that brings me to another question, and I know uh, you you make this point in the book. Um, we we hear a lot about the team approach. I know mm-hmm. when I was at the museum Getty's Museum Management Institute, it was all about the team approach, right. and uh, you know you had uh, all of the department heads together with the museum director and. A, uh, a bunch of other people, and everybody moved around. I always thought about them as great big balloons moving sort of you know around uh, 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 <laughs> s- sort of sort of moving toward the goal, but maybe right. not um, right. but 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 you you and Janet make a point that a team uh, mm-hmm. you know you can have a team, but they might not be the same as a collaborative group what 's the difference exactly well what we sort of started to create sort of different analogies, and one is when you're working in a collaborative, there are shared sort of um, expectations in terms of that. People, everybody understands what the goals are. What are we all working towards? And so um, that's why where is in a team, which sometimes is is part of um, the process. You know, everybody has their own distinct sort of designation, but they're all working together for one collective. So in this more collaborative approach, when we're all together, it's um, really what we looked at is this advocacy model, and it was based on some thoughts Janet had early on about every exhibition and a lot of projects need five advocacies. They need... um, 
They need an institutional advocate, somebody who's paying attention to the institutional mission and is this the best in terms of how we, um, how we, what our brand is, who we are out there in the community and society. Um, visitor advocacy is our second, which is a critical, you know, and that's for everybody to share. This is for someone, not about something. That shift has occurred. So visitors have to be at the top of everybody's list of, um, of thoughts and thinking who this is for. Subject matter, obviously. You have to have a subject matter advocate, somebody who cares about the topic that this exhibit is about to make sure that, again, the scholarship is sound and the data is, is uh, the design advocate. This is also um, a critical one, and this isn't necessarily the designer who's just picking colors or at um, certain things. This is about design thinking. This is about problem solving and elegant, uh, creating elegant solutions. This is making sure it really functions for the end user, which is our visitor. Um, and then our last is the project and team advocate which somebody, the project manager typically, who's paying attention to the project, making sure it's on track, on time, on budget, all those important things, but also is the team healthy? Is it moving along? Is it getting, um, getting along well and getting done what needs to be get done? So if everybody understands that these five advocacies at the very beginning of this process, um, then, you know, people are vying for... Um, uh, for the end goals versus their discipline. One of the things that I thought was really interesting many years ago, I heard someone say, I think it was Jim Volkert say, you know, when you go into a team meeting, people vie for their discipline. They come in and they say, gee, I'm going to fight for marketing because nobody ever pays attention or design is always forgotten. And then you get people around the table vying for their, again, for their job title. This advocacy sort of takes that away and says, no, we need people to advocate for these, at least these five things. I know what your agenda is. It's very transparent to everybody why certain people are vying for certain things and why they're bringing that point of view to the table. So it shifts away from job titles, shifts away from um, disciplines, and moves it towards, again, this end goal, but keeping that eye on the prize of this is, this is to create hopefully meaningful, engaging visitor experiences. You know, I think that that's very, um, that's very important for our listeners to understand, and I hope everyone uh, takes, takes this away from this book. This idea of advocacy, advocacy does get us out of the silos mm-hmm. that, we, that we tend, you know, even, even in the most uh, uh, linear um, uh, uh, org charts, we tend to sort of bring in these, these uh, uh Individuals who have have a job title of marketing or or education, uh, it reminds me. Recently, I had a conversation with a with a, a dear colleague of mine, and she asked a very important question. She said, "Why is the education director always brought into at the end of a project? It seems, uh, you know." And and um, I. I had to acknowledge that in many projects that I've been involved with, that that does tend to happen, uh, but it sometimes happens because there have been educational advocacies throughout the project. It just didn't necessarily mean that it was the education director who mm-hmm. who was in, involved. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's 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 tricky. Um, I can see some of these advocacies could be filled by multiple people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. You, so we're not just saying you have a team of five. No. You might have a team of twenty. Exactly. And and uh, moving in and out of this process, as you said, at different times. Um, but this sort of understanding that at the core of it, somebody has their eyes on this. Somebody says, okay, I'm making sure that the visitor doesn't get lost here, or I'm going to make sure that the subject matter doesn't get lost, or are we going to forget entirely about the institutional mission, which can sometimes get away from us, make, or the process, whatever it may be. Somebody's paying attention to that. But absolutely, people are moving in and out of these advocacies during the entire process. It's not just 
okay, now we've reassigned you as the, you know, institutional advocate. Um, these need to be shared. And sometimes a single person might be involved in two or three advocacies as they're moving through this process as well. Yes, yes, and and certainly different sized institutions are going mm-hmm. and different sized projects are going to have the uh you know have have a little different take on on how this might uh might happen which goes back to it depends right. how many people exactly. are on a team it depends <laughs> it depends right absolutely and that's what somebody had asked me about the scalability of this. I said, oh, gee, it seems like this is for big institutions only, this book. I said, no, it really isn't. You should really look at it as something that's scalable. And they said, but what if we don't have these five? And my board has been driving me crazy about it. I said, well, make the board part of this. You know, Give them an advocacy role. Bring them into it as opposed to them just being sitting and um, – maybe some subjectively or not giving you uh, feedback, make them a player, give them ownership of the institution and the exhibitions. And she said, oh, that's a great idea. And she was really excited about that. And visitors. And we visitors. can, we, we can actually bring visitors into this inner sanctum mm-hmm. and show them how we make the sausage. You got it. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So this... Doesn't seem so hard. <laughs> I say that with great facetiousness yeah. of having a number of exhibitions and challenges under my my belt, and I know you have right. over sixty projects on mm-hmm. under yours. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the hardest part of this? You think why or why? Why is it so hard every time we do this? <laughs> I know. You know what it is? It's the darn human beings that get in the get in the mix of this. Um, well, it's, you know, there are things like egos and there are things like positions. And um, I think, you know, again, moving, uh, trying, and that's what one of the things we found is I introduced this advocacy to the students as they enter into this very collaborative studio that they do. And I find that it does take that away. They, you know, that sort of vying for one's position um, sort of fades. Says, oh wait a minute! I don't have to. This isn't about fighting. This is or trying to get a certain agenda across. This is about making a really great project and process. So um, you know, I think you know we never have enough time. (laughs) We never have enough money. Um, But the big thing is to sort of again check the egos or try to sort of say, okay, wait a minute! I'm entering into this in a way that is going to be. Uh, supportive, intellectually generous, and always keeping the visitor as as the end result. We want to create these, you know, exceptional visitor engagements and experiences. Let's make sure that's 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 where we're headed in this. Yeah, you know, I've gotten in in trouble for saying saying something, and I'm going to say it again because it's my radio show. Absolutely, uh, and that is, you know, the essence of what you've just said, and I I really take this to heart. But it's not about me, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And these things aren't just I. And the other statement I'm going to repeat and repeat, and I may if I could do embroidery, I embroider it on a pillow, and that is <laughs> exhibits aren't about something; they're for someone. Absolutely, yeah. We've got to print the T-shirts up, you know. Yes. Get the pillows. Get the yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Okay, we've got to take another break. Uh, This is a good time to do it when we come back uh, a little more uh, about uh, how we teach this process and how Polly is helping us uh, and helping the next generation of museum professionals embrace this approach. Uh, Again, you can always listen to this show and all previous shows of Museum Life on my website, carolbossertservices.com, where you can also find a out a little bit more about me and what I do, you can reach me at carol.com 
bossard at verizon.net. You can also continue the conversation with Polly at pmechanicress at uarts.edu. And remember, this wonderful book that you've got, everyone must have on their bookshelves, is available through Amazon, uh, Creating Exhibitions, Collaboration in the Planning, Development, and Design of Innovative Experiences, published by Wiley. Uh, We will be back in just a minute with Polly McKenna-Cress. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radioshow at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to The Museum Life, and I am here with Polly McKenna-Cress, and we're talking about exhibits and the creation of exhibitions uh, and the wonderful book that she co-authored with Janet Kamian, Creating Exhibitions. Uh, Polly, I, uh, I know that you are using this book and several others to teach design uh, uh, students at the uh, University of the Arts. Um, you know, it it really is a different world out there, isn't it? I mean, when you and I came up through the ranks, we learned by doing. It was sort of right. the apprentice model, and you screwed up. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, that just doesn't seem... Well, it probably was never a very efficient model. Right. Uh, so, um, but is this really something that you can teach? Um, well, you know, I... I mentioned to you before, Carol, um, Elaine Gurian came up for a thesis defense years ago and said, are you crazy? How are you teaching for a museum field that we just don't have any idea of where it's going? And this is about five or six years ago. And I said, that's part of the, that's the greatest part, Elaine, in a lot of ways, is that it is a field that is changing so dramatically and so quickly, which I just never thought I'd say. Um, that I prepare the students to be flexible and adaptable and that we're on a precipice of reinventing the museum field and they're going to be part of it. So they need to be prepared for that, this moving thing. So we tend to give them the skills, the critical thinking, but also the strategic thinking about, okay, here are some ideas, here are thoughts, this is how you use them, Um, here are the goals. This is about visitors. This is about creating these engaging experiences. This is about real stuff, the objects. This is about um, authentic experience, either internal or external, that authenticity. But it's also about, um, you know, social engagement. So all of these things, how, how do you get to those? How do you, um, how do you uh, move forward with contemporary society? So, 
um, we teach a process, and that's one of the ones that we outline in the book. But what we say, our caveat with that is, this isn't the process. This isn't the 10 steps to a great exhibition. This is thing. one thing has to lead to another has to lead to another. Once you get well-versed in this process or once you figure out what your process is, each new exhibit, each new team, each new collective has to reassemble and think about what kind of process they're going to go through to get to the end that, that they've created. So, um, again, that adaptability and that flexibility is really, um, is really critical, and the students go through that and, and practice that. Um, so, and we tend to throw some uh, wrenches in at uh, different times uh, to uh, to test those waters too. So, and it, and it seems to me uh, that again, when we're talking about shared vocabulary, one of the biggest challenges I think in many fields is that people who have been in the field for a while uh, and people who are new to a field may not have a, enough of a shared vocabulary to even begin to talk about something, uh, let alone collaborate. And and I think that that would uh, that is particularly detrimental to our field where we, uh, those of us who have been in it for a while, realize that there has been a sea change in Mm -hmm. terms of the technology used, uh, whether we're, how we can continue to make places Mm -hmm. in a world that is almost independent of place. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we can chat with friends across the world and share ideas and share experiences, then what does that mean to uh, creating a specific place? and specific experience uh, uh, in in Cleveland uh, and 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 I welcome the opportunity to get to know more emerging museum professionals I'm fascinated with their with the thoughts and all of the blogs uh, that and all of the great ideas uh, that are really spinning in our field these days but you know without that shared, uh, vocabulary, we, we, I think we get frustrated with each other. So I think that's mm-hmm. another way that your book uh, and this book really, really is, uh, is, is helping us. Right. The, one of the things I just was looking at a, a TED Talk earlier about leadership, and one of the things that he said was um, we forget the success between uh, leadership is we tend to focus on the what as opposed to the why. And when we invert that process and focus on the why we're all here, why does this company exist, what is the philosophy, that's when great things happen. And he goes through and talks about places like Apple and the Wright brothers, and then he talks about Martin Luther King. Why did everybody show up that day for this great speech? And one of the last things he says is, you know, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. He didn't say, I have a plan. You know, which I yeah. thought was great. And so that why, so all these new technologies, as you said, and, and that language of, you know, again, why, what are we, what is the goal here? How are we getting there? How do we talk to each other in this collaborative? How do we have that shared language? But where are we headed towards um, is really, really an imperative. Um, and so, you know, again, we can bring all these new technologies, these new ideas, these new thoughts, but if we're not getting to that end goal, we can get really lost very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to shift gears a a little bit uh, because we've been, uh, Polly and I have been talking, uh, but there's an important person that we keep uh, talking about uh, who is with us. And with us in spirit, and that is that is Janet Kamian, who uh, who who passed away uh, about a year ago uh, after a, a serious uh, uh, illness. And I miss her deeply, uh, and I know Polly does does too. And so, I, you know, Polly, I've got to say, in in reading through creating exhibits, I just I heard Janet on every page. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Just the way she would say, well, <laughs> and then she would launch in and tell you something that, that 
that you know everyone should have known. I mean, she was a she was a great. Uh, she was truly an essential collaborator. Uh, I I would say uh, for those listeners who uh, did not have an opportunity to be Janet's best friend. By the way, everyone was <laughs> Janet's best exactly. friend exactly. if you met her. Um, but if you didn't have a chance to meet her, uh, check uh, check out the videos on YouTube. There are numerous videos uh, about her talking about her experiences at the Boston Children's Museum and mm-hmm. and creating exhibitions that I think are are marvelous and really give a sense of, of of Janet. What was it like working working with her on this project? Oh, it was it was really an amazing treat. And um, as I told Carol at the beginning of this, I will I will stay strong um, because otherwise Janet will really really yell at me. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, she was, she's just an incredible collaborator. Um, one of the things that David Kahn, who used to hire Janet as a consultant in many different forms, he said once he hired her and the staff said, now who is this woman coming in? And they were a little suspect of the whole thought, of the whole idea of it. And then he said as she was leaving after two days, they said, when is she coming back? We need her <laughs> back, you know, which was the effect that Janet had on everyone. Um, Janet and I, you know, we had worked together. I actually went to the Franklin Institute because I thought, ooh, I can work with Janet Kamian? My gosh, this is fabulous. So, um, and we had just stayed good good colleagues and best friends, as you said, over the time. And as somebody else said at her memorial, um, you know, I came in here knowing Janet was my best friend and how much I loved her. And then I found out all of you had the same relationship, and that really pissed me off. <laughs> Which is also perfect for Janet because she did have so many, so many best friends and so many people that she touched. But it was this intellectual generosity that she brought with her. And every year she would come and do a charrette with us in March, and uh, she would talk to the students about that. She would talk to them about the museum field and how important it was to have that intellectual generosity because we were about other things. We were about you know, again, who's coming through the door. We weren't caught up in egos and other things. Um, She really did just treasure the fact that we could do good with these museums. Um, And that, above all else, was incredibly important to her. And she shared that wherever, whenever she could um, with everybody. It was incredibly infectious. No, she she was. I worked with her on uh, on uh, several projects, in, including one for the the World Bank. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, she had all of those people from the World Bank just eating out of her hand. It was the most <laughs> amazing thing I think I've ever seen. They too became uh, Janet's best friend uh, right. in in talking about some of some of these things. It reminds me that this. It was a, it was a different age. I think mm-hmm. uh, we all, many of us, say can can go back to the fact we learned. Uh, we learned from Janet. Uh, she taught us. Uh, she taught us our, our craft. Uh, we use the same vocabulary. Uh, we use the same uh, phrases, sort of the same buzzwords. Um, and and I I think that we can't. Uh, you can't replicate that anymore. And so the uh, museum studies programs are, are a way of continuing uh, to pr- uh, stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I think that was one of the things. Um, because I came from a des- strong design background, I would bring in Janet because the University of the Arts, we teach both um, content development and design. And I would tell the students every year, this is like your primary source. This is one of the first content developers. Like they were created basically by Michael Spock, and here you have one in your midst um, who really, you know, everybody of that time, you and everybody, you know, really establishing what that content developer is. So that was another reason for this book is to really understand um, that need for content development and shaping those ideas with the visitor at the center. Um, and that's something that Janet just... Um, you know, brought brought to the table tenfold. And as you mentioned before, several people, a lot of people who are close to Janet have said in reading the book, ah, I can hear her, you know, we have her voice there. So we've, you know, we've lost her, but, but it's embodied in the book. 
So I hope that that, again, that, that learning can be passed on to other generations too, even people who, who didn't know her. I, I agree completely. And I think that uh, I know certainly every project I, uh, I approach now uh, and have for many years is to say, what good can I do? Uh, mm-hmm. how, how can I make this good? Uh, how can I make it good for, for people? Uh, right. And um, uh, use, use the tools that are available uh, and allow the institution to also shine through. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're not, we're not creating, creating Disney things. We're creating authentic experiences and, and it's, uh, it's challenging to do that. Uh, but I think, I think we continue to put on the, uh, on the good fight, uh, mm-hmm. for, for many of these projects. Uh, uh, you and I have talked before museum exhibits are getting more and more complicated and more expensive and more integrated. And while maybe we're not doing the blockbusters that we did in the 90s because, right. uh, you know, that 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 financial that model. <laughs> that model and, is over. Oh, and, and we can all be so happy about that. Exactly. But, but exhibitions, whether they are in a museum, whether they're online in some some virtual world that that I'm only beginning to understand, they're really really important. Mm-hmm. And and our visitors are insisting on them. There, are, I think our visitors are saying, you know, I hear it from the students all the time. The technology is nice, you know, but I'm sick of the screens or the blockbuster, whatever. I don't want to spend that kind of money. I want to have an incredible experience in a museum. A museum is the one place in society that I can have a conversation, that I can learn about new things, that I can share those with somebody right next to me. They're they're just looking for those exceptional experiences that that feel authentic. And and as a museum, that's a responsibility. Um, So we, we can't. We can't go back to an older model. I don't at this point. They won't let us. I think that's fascinating, and I think it's something that we we as museum professionals need to hold hold on to, uh, particularly as we begin to look at reaching out to new audiences. Those audiences that maybe didn't go to museums as children uh, don't have that museum uh, gene, uh, but they are just ever ever so much a part of our society and it behooves us to find ways to find out what they're interested in and reach reach out to uh to to new segments of of our communities mm-hmm. polly i i want to thank you for uh taking this time to be on our our show today uh this and and congratulations janet would be very proud you did a very good job oh, uh <laughs> This is this is important stuff, um, yeah. as Janet would say. This is important stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, thank you all, listeners, for uh, taking the time to listen to Polly today. Uh, she has so much to to offer. You can reach her at pmckennacress at uarts.edu. Get the book. Uh, you can get it from Amazon. It can't be easier. And remember, you can always reach me at carolbossertservices.com or drop me a line. What issues are you interested in t- discussing at Museum Life at carol.bossert at verizon.net. We'll be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. With the weekend coming up, why not plan a trip to your favorite museum or one you've never been to? Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 